Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Jank. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, so this was, so this is kind of coming off of uh, some of the conversations that we had in our Derpies podcast, if I, if I understand you correctly, when, 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 when we're talking about Jank. Yeah, well, so so basically, what what happened was is, well, I was you know I, I, I was thinking of categories that I want to put forward. Um, basically, I was like, PUBG can't win Game of the Year for me because it's too rough, right? And that's where I came up with like the the big the, the best trash fire, um, idea. But I, I started thinking about that. I was like, how true is that? And like there, there are definitely times when like the jank overrides the goodness of the game. But then there are games like say Skyrim. You know every Bethesda game, which are notoriously janky, um, uh, Eastern European games called Eurojank, like The Witcher, all have all have a little, uh, all have a level of roughness to them, and they still end up being great games in spite of that. Uh, whereas uh, there are some games where the jankiness makes the game uh, uh, so much worse that it 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 it's, it's, it can't be it basically falls out of even consideration. Um, on the strength of its strength alone, I think, um, rather than necessarily like it, it being uh, some other problem that's that's that's, mag- that, that's magnified by the jank, and that, that was kind of, um, uh, it was curious to me that like, you know, in, in my head there's like a level of like, well, the, a game should be relatively well polished before it hits the before it hits the world, and then I was like, well, that's not, and you know, and that that's why I didn't, I was, uh, I, I wanted to dock PUBG. But like, well, that's not absolutely true. So I, I wanted to dive in and explore that more. Do you have any op- uh, any opening thoughts about Jank? I have I have a I have a working kind of theory that uh, I guess do I want to just like open with this? Yeah. So, why not? Okay. So I think Jank. So in insofar as we're kind of like defining terms a bit, I think that there is Jank and then there's polish, right? And it's kind of a spectrum where like there is. Uh, uh, you know, you can have something super polished on one end of the spectrum, super jank on the other end of the spectrum. Um, I might actually disagree with you about the relative jankiness of stuff like, you know, Skyrim or Fallout. I actually think that on the whole, um, most AAA games are pretty well polished, and the place where we're seeing lots of jank is like PUBG in the early access kind of indie, not AAA space, right? Um, and a lot of the times what we'll see is something is jank essentially be excused. And so what I think is mostly happening is we have gone from, um, you know, so for instance, one of the guys that I've referenced on, on the podcast before Aaron signal, he has a video about GTA four, which at the time was the highest rated game of all time. And in that video, he said, gamers, um, uh, you know, gamers reward polish before they reward anything else. Right. And this was whatever it was 10 years ago right and i think from that because i and i and i get that and i think that that's relatively true right um and we have moved from that uh to a, a higher tolerance for for jank in order to find game systems that really stimulate us uh and that's my that's my overall kind of like big picture of of what we're looking at when we're looking at jank i feel like Okay, I, I I feel some of that, but I I kind of want to interrogate this. But you you don't think that Skyrim and Fallout are janky at all? 
In, in, in comparison, right? I think something okay. like early access games that people are coming out and enthusiastically recommending, right? You know, these games are typically much jankier than Skyrim or Fallout are. And, and most, and not from like like a buggy point of view, but also just from like a, you know what I mean? Like the way that the animations aren't very crisp in PUBG, right? Or like the textures don't blend very well. You know what I mean? Like the, these kinds of things that we don't even really think of because we've been, you know, like so conditioned by AAA games to accept that these things are the reality. Like I think if you walk into a game of PUBG from like a visual standpoint and then walk into Fallout 4, there's a big difference between those and that difference is also part of PUBG jank, right? Okay. So I think you're absolutely right with that, but that brings up a good point. Should we, should we try and define jank to kind of think, because I was primarily thinking of, um, of of mechanical jankiness, but you're absolutely correct. Kind of the, the, the rigid animations in PUBG and kind of the uh, asset store look of them and, and, and uh, the not great textures and, and some Man, of the well, problems and all that. that. The asset store look of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All, all that kind of stuff, like I, th I think, absolutely does. You're absolutely right. Contribute to jank, and, and so, um, uh, do, do, you, do you have like a, a decent working definition of jank that you that you want to propose? Because um, I kind of don't. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have. A, I, I guess I don't have a, like a specific definition. Um, uh, maybe something along the lines of like um, uh, polish is um, when all of the aspects of the game. A perfectly polished game is when all of the aspects of that game come together to form a seamless aesthetic whole, right? Uh, W-H-O-L-E, right? Yeah. Um, and jank is where those... Uh, man, even aesthetic is probably too too narrow... But, but And then Jank is the opposite of that, right? Where you can see the seams, right? And the production... Um, uh, and, and, and you can kind of see, like, the underlying production, I guess, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, can, can you think of a game that's, like, been very mechanically janky, but, uh, but visually smooth, and, and then the opposite, something that's kind of visually janky, but, but like, has no mechanical yeah. kind of fault? I think most of these Ubisoft games, would, I could, I would consider mechanically janky and, uh, kind of, like, visibly polished. Um, okay. In the sense of that, like, and and these are and they're not mechanically janky in senses of like, um, you know, like the mechanics don't work as intended. But I just think that the design, you know what I mean? Like, I maybe this is me quibbling with design decisions, right? Okay. But a lot of the times it'll be stuff like, you know, you need to unlock, you need to kill a certain amount of tigers to unlock whatever in Far Cry. Who gives a shit, right? You know what I mean? Like, and and some of those systems aren't tuned or calibrated correctly to create an engaging experience. Um, most of the time, because they're too easy to attain, um, or things like. Um, you know, in the uh, in the Assassin's Creed games, uh, like you you get on these missions or whatever, and the the visual uh, Assassin's Creed is actually a fantastic example of this. The visual of Ezio or whoever, right, climbing up a tower, right, uh, is beautiful and it looks great, and the animations are all really like good, right. But like the the mechanics of trying to get yourself up that tower might have you jump off the tower at inopportune times because like 
you can't figure out what if that's like if that legend the texture is a ledge he can hold on to or just like nothing you know what yeah, i mean yeah and then, then so, he defaults to a different action yeah, yeah. like that's a very it, it's a very visibly smooth action right where he jumps for the ledge that isn't there hits the wall doesn't grab anything and falls right that that all looks great but mechanically right i would say that that is that is not uh yeah uh, ab- absolutely um and for the opposite um i've got like this this thought in my mind of like some some earlier some early access games where like the models aren't quite all there like uh in heroes new earth for instance for a long time one of the characters was a teapot as kind of like a visual fl- fill-in which is an insider programmer trick but that's not important um but what well, he he acted mechanically fine um uh in in there which is yeah i uh, mean i don't do a lot of super common delving i would say into um uh like the early access titles that are in the steam store um so i don't have a super good sense but i i'm sure that like you know if you or i spent 20 hours right going through early access titles that aren't you know, in, in get, getting a viral moment or something along those lines, um, that we would kind of end up in a spot where, you know, the the, the these things aren't aren't looking aren't looking amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I and like uh, I, another one that kind of springs to mind is is Minecraft. I think kind of falls in that. Now it's the aesthetic, but I think when that game first came out, um, it very much kind of wasn't. It just kind of was like, well, this is the way things are for now. Um, uh, Although, like I said, obviously that's not true anymore. I th- you know, I do have to say that I think that Minecraft is a pretty good... Um, uh, I, I think that Minecraft is a pretty good starting point for probably where our tolerance of jank kind of began. Uh, do, you, do you know huh. what I mean? Like, like I'm trying to think of, a, of, a, of another game that would have come out uh, like what? Like what are some of the first games that were tolerably janky? And I think Minecraft is a fantastic example. Uh, yeah. Um, I think I think Oblivion kind of fits in that place too. Um, although sometimes I have trouble separating, you know, like what's old and what's actually, you know, like what was janky for the time. Um. Uh, but yeah. No, I, I think I think I think that makes sense. Yeah, I also. Th- man, how do I think about Oblivion? Oblivion, I. Mm. I think that, like, the acceptance of Jank also... Uh, this coincides kind of with day one patches in a lot of ways, I think, as well. Yeah. Like, um, not that, you know... Like, like Jank can kill a game if it's if it's not great on launch. But, like, the ability to recover and kind of some of the excusability of um, kind of the more technical aspects of Jank, um, I, I think, have not been helped by, by the prevalence of internet connections. Um, and thus the ability to do day one patches, um, which is, which is its own ball of flax. Um, uh, but, uh, but I think in general, what we're, what we're kind of ending up describing is that I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago, right. Gamers, uh, cared a lot about polish and probably less about core, you know, like core systems based experiences, right. Or story based experiences, right. Um, and as we have matured, I, I, you know, over the last 15 years, I think that, you know, we're more, we are more willing to accept a very strong set of gameplay systems, uh, or a very strong story, um, in place of like the more traditional polish. Um, yeah, I, 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 
I, I agree to a certain extent. I think part of that, too, is, like, as more people have come into gaming, kind of like the, the quote-unquote core gamers have, you know, like, are, are, are to, to, to borrow a metaphor, like, chasing the high of, of a more unique system because um, they're tired of, of, of the, the old yeah, stuff. I, yeah, I definitely think that that's true. And I also think that there's a lot of systems kind of like, you know, um, uh, like systems that are over time, right? Um they're also maturing alongside us, yeah. if that makes sense, right? Like, sometimes you can go back to games that were really beloved from, you know, that 2005 era and just kind of be like, wow, this is a lot, you know, like, it, this yeah. is a lot worse than modern XYZ that we have. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no, no, that, 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 that's absolutely fair. Um so something that keeps popping in my mind uh, around this idea of kind of like both the patching and kind of like the time scale thing is that um, uh, you're probably going to hate on me for this, but Nintendo um, has been historically very good about putting out very polished products, um, and they're less so they're less good now. But it took them a, a lot longer to deteriorate, I think, than um, than like some of the, the the more mainline companies. And when I say deteriorate, I mean like. Um, Proclivity for putting out day one patches with, with potentially game-breaking stuff. Yeah, I mean, no, my hatred of Nintendo extends to many things, but I actually think that's pretty pretty on point. Um, and, and just kind of, like... Because uh, I, I, I want to draw this, like, like Nintendo, I think, is very much on one end of polish. Mm. Um, you know, the, the kind of driving philosophy of, like, um, uh, a, a, late a good late game is late, a bad... Or a bad game on time is bad forever. Um, uh, and I, I think that's that's the kind of thing that, that has driven it. And um, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, Eurojank has has existed for forever, but those games also have, have were much less popular, like something like the Gothic games, mm -hmm. um, into, uh, what was, what's the name of the game? That, that studio just put out a game. I, I played it, I talked about it a little bit earlier. I, I can't remember what the name of it is. I guess it's like an E, I'll find it at some point. Um, but, like, those games, like, Gothic, I know, was really popular among, like, the, the hardcore um, kind of uh, players, but, like, also is kind of, like, a very niche title. Um, and the current game is Elex, is what it's called. Uh, and those things kind of... Uh, and, and so, I think to your point, right, like, those games moved more towards the mainstream, right? Like, yes, Witcher 2 and Witcher 3 were sequentially more polished than Witcher 1, um, but I think part of that driving force is also a kind of a willingness to accept what would come with those games for for their their kind of uh, goodness. Otherwise, yeah, I, I definitely think that that's um, I definitely think that that's pretty accurate, to be honest. Uh, and, um, and 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 I'm 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 skeptical of calling this a a an overall good thing, right? Right. Because I do think that polish is, is worthwhile, and I think that it's something that should be rewarded, right? Um, I was listening to the have you have you been like are you up to date on the Dad and Sons podcast? We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I think I've listened to all of them. Yeah, okay, because I I haven't listened to all of them. Uh, they're pretty long. The Dad and Sons podcast for those of you at home is the podcast um, run by Super Bunny Hop, who we've talked about before. 
uh, a pretty a pretty good YouTuber, right? He quit his job, created a Patreon. One of the Patreon goals was starting a podcast. Um, but the, on one of the episodes, I believe it's episode four, um, they're talking about Jason Schreier, who is a longtime Kotaku reporter who talks about kind of the inside baseball development process of um of a lot of games he just wrote a book um kind of all like revolving all around you know development cycles at indian triple a you know for or like four big indian triple a titles right stuff like destiny stuff like stardew valley or whatever um and one of the things he talks about in that book as report i didn't read the book but as reported through the 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 dad and sons podcast is um is how much polish went into the game stardew valley right where the guy basically was done three years into the project but just spent that last those last two years polishing and polishing and polishing and i have to say that i feel like stardew valley is a pretty good example of a game that is pretty ridiculously well polished like there's not a lot that i could think of when it comes to stardew valley where i would say this is janky you know what i right. mean um if there is anything that i could think of uh uh kind of along those lines even to some to to, to some ludicrous degrees like you know what i i think a lot about the math behind certain games if you know like a certain and um, you know, how much X do I need to complete Y or whatever? And I even feel like the math that underlies Stardew Valley is pretty exceptional uh, in terms of how, how, I don't know. It like, it just, it hits this like really like golden sweet spot of like, it is just hard enough to get enough copper, right? To upgrade your pickaxe or whatever that it feels like challenging but also fulfilling and that kind of stuff you can only get in polish right which is why i i'm i'm apprehensive of saying something like well who cares about polish right as long as the core systems are good that's all that ma you know what i mean that's all that matters which i think is kind of like the trap uh almost to this line of thinking well, well, well i agree with you the flip side of that coin is that that game almost destroyed him um and you know maybe if he was a little bit concerned about less concerned about polish it would have been better for his you know health as a person no definitely uh, yeah i mean i um, I, I absolutely understand uh yeah, where, and, where that comes from and you know not, not that i'm saying that like these these things are are you know you you either have healthy devs or polished games or whatever um but i i, I think that there i think the fact that you know PUBG came out in early access it is still fairly janky even though it's in full release while it has a lot of negative effects i think on balance the fact that you know no one had to like mortgage their home a third time to get that game out is probably on net a positive for kind of the in, for 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 indies um what i'm afraid of is is it lets kind of like larger companies off the hook a little bit i think if, if you lowered kind of the average standard although i don't think that that's universally true this actually kind of segues into something i wanted to ask i, I wanted to kind of get your take on because i think um uh there there is a game that came out uh 2017 who's jank largely sank it um i suspect i know what kind of your Ooh, deeper beans on this go. yeah uh, i'm super yeah. into this um i'm gonna say that uh like uh mass effect andromeda had a lot of kind of visual janky issues on launch uh I, a couple mechanical ones but you could speak to that better than i can um and that really sank that game that that kind of that may have in fact killed mass effect um which is a, a kind of weird thing to say, but uh, it, it seems to be to be the case. Um, obviously, you 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 actually played the game. I didn't, and you were a lot closer into it. Um, how how close to launch did you play the game? I played the game on launch, um, but uh, I you know Mass Mass Effect is a fascinating example because that was the point 
where it's jank became a meme, right? And as soon as it was a meme, there was nothing anybody could do because nobody was interacting with it in good faith, essentially, anymore. Um, because even though, like, essentially they, they put out a, um, they put out a, not a day one patch, but maybe a week later patch. Um, and, um, I, I have to say, first of all, I think that Mass Effect Andromeda was treated pretty unfairly, right? For, like, not, not just including that I am a giant fan of the Mass Effect franchise, like, this is kind of, like, outside of the realm of fanboyism or whatever, I think that the janky criticisms that were leveled at those game at the game was, were essentially unfair, right? Um, there were, there was one character specifically, right, who looked really janky, right? in every interaction you had with them. But at the end of the day, they were a character you played with. They were a character you interact with a couple of times in the beginning of the game and then really not a lot until um, until the end of the game. And then there were a couple of smaller kind of, um, you know, like a cutscene or something. You know what I mean? Like it would pop up every once in a while. But like it really wasn't an incredibly prevalent thing, right? And most of that game was fairly like well-polished, right? But the thing was... It became a meme so quickly that the entirety of Mass Effect Andromeda got defined by like that one, you know, NPC's like Frankenstein I, eyes. I mean, th there was yeah. definitely also some stuff with the character creator and some like like I, you know, obviously I I kind of only consumed it through the memes, but like, um, there was like, I don't know. I, I think this is actually kind of a good question. There, you know, there are a lot of people who will try and break things with the character creator right like in any game yeah um and that seemed like eminently doable in this game and, and do you do you think that's like something that should be counted against it no i i mean for i i definitely think that that's a that's like a prevalent phenomenon right you we we even have um monster factory right is that youtube channel that's all about just like making you know using a character creator to make like the weirdest but i but i think it's actually something that like i don't think that there's a lot of um in most games where there is a character creator there is a tendency towards an like ironic character creation at least among kind of like the like uh like the influencing culture of gamers right um total biscuit or yahtzee right like yahtzee has a joke in all of his game reviews about like about systems like this where he will try he will name himself like super poopy butt face right and give himself a big pink mohawk and just like look ridiculous you know what i mean it's yeah. not like he's saying like oh i'm gonna play uh you know what i mean like I'm going to play a guy who's, you know, he's got like a, like a flat kind of pug nose, you know, like Woody Harrelson sort of face, right. because I'm kind of like, that's the kind of look for this like scoundrel, you know, whatever, Wastelander in Fallout or whatever that I, that I want to play, right? Like it's, it, there is a, there is this detached irony that comes a lot with interfacing with these kinds of systems. Um, and, uh, and I think that that is prevalent uh, throughout the culture to a certain extent, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's a difference between that though and like, like in, in the Mass Effect character creator, you can get the eyeballs to clip through the eyelids, which which I think yeah, is yeah, like... Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, that's... Okay, that's fair. But then but then I also think, for instance, like we've all seen the thing where like the character is like waddling, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
it's it's hard. that doesn't happen you have to like break the game in order to do that by like walking along the stairs in a certain way and using the joystick you know what i mean like it's it's not it's not something that do, do you see what i'm saying but like those are the things that predominantly came to define uh mass effect andromeda and then okay. it was like well what you know like what can you do now you can't you can't kill memes mango that's yeah, the no, problem i, <laughs> I, I know I, and I i kind of wonder like there are some things that seem to be more common, right? Like, the Wildling one was obviously, like, catchy in terms of, like, in terms of, of visuals. But, like, it also seemed that there was there were, like, enough of them that you'd encounter at least one of them. At least, at least from, from what I had read about from people. Is that, like, you, you'd hit something and, like, I, I think, you know, I think kind of, you're right. In isolation, you look at it and be like, oh, well, that's funny. And go on with your day. But when it gets thrown on the meme pile, the meme pile is, like, larger than maybe it necessarily deserves to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, okay, so, so on top of that, do you, like, do, do you, do you think that, that, that the jank is, is actually what killed the game or is there something else that we're, that we're not kind of like seeing that, that killed the game otherwise? Well, I also think that it was the jank, pl- like it, it was the way that this jank kind of like gestated into memes, but those memes were also, um, like, this is so weird putting it in this way, but like, they were also like really negative and like mean if that makes sense for instance people break the fucking character creator in fallout and make these kind of goofy characters all the time but nobody holds that against the game right but something with mass effect andromeda kind of like metastasized or whatever and the and i I don't know i felt like it was the i was looking at the same kind of thing as someone who was using the fallout character creator to make just like a really goofy dumb looking dude um but in the in the way that in fallout we'd say ha 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 this is all in good fun right with mass effect it was like yeah this game is fucking awful because i can do this right do you see what i'm saying I, I see what you're saying. I don't know if I agree 100%. Like I said, I, I think that... I'm, I'm um, definitely exaggerating for effects. Or, well, I'm yeah. exaggerating to try and be clear about this, right? Yeah. But no, I think no, that I, that's happened, right? Like, for some of these games, I think memes like this can be good-natured, but I don't think that the memes around Mass Effect Andromeda were good-natured. I think people used it as a way to attack EA, which, you know, hey, man, fair enough, right? Um, yeah. and, uh, uh, and especially to kind of lament the fall of the Mass Effect franchise um, in the same way that I kind of think that like, like part of the reaction to justice league is like long simmering a reaction to BVS. Uh, I kind of feel like the part of the reaction to Andromeda is like, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like people unleashing resentment that they had built up over, uh, Mass, Effect uh, over, over Mass Effect three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I feel that. Um, uh, not to make this all about, um, Andromeda, but, um, uh, there, I mean, I also think that there are other games that fall into this kind of pattern. Uh, it's pretty common, I think, to a certain extent, um, for, for kind of like sequels or whatever to, to, to hit along these lines. I mean, I'm, I'm the person who spent like, you know, four podcasts just railing against Fallout 4 because of how far I felt the, the, it had fallen since, uh, Fallout New Vegas or whatever, right? Um, I mean, you can make the same argument about Assassin's Creed 3, right? Assassin's Creed 3 comes after, right, this really well-liked Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, Revelations kind of 
trilogy for for Ezio, um, and then you move into Assassin's Creed Three, and that and that game gets really shit on or whatever. Um, and then and then it kind of bounces, you know, and then it it starts ping ponging, right? It bounces back with fucking Black Flag, and then it gets, you know, and then it's shitty again with Assassin's Creed. Um, the the Paris one, Unity, yeah. right? And then it's good again in Syndicate, and you know, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah, I feel like yeah. that. I feel like that is pretty, um, you know, not prevalent, I guess, but it's it's it it influ- it influences things. Uh yeah, but but so kind kind of in that vein, right? Like, um, by the uh, way, talk uh, about jank, man. Like Assassin's Creed Unity might be the best example of like jank really just tanking a whole game. I mean, Total Biscuit made a whole video talking, I mean, he made a video that was like, quote-unquote, not a review, talking about why he felt he could not review Assassin's Creed Unity by just displaying how fucking awful that game was from, like, a jank perspective. You know, like, clipping through shit and falling through floors and being unable to, and losing progress for, you know, like, weird dopey bugs or whatever. Like, that game was unplayable, right? Yeah, so, actually, that's kind of... Um, oh, there, there's, there's, there's like two or three things I want to go into now. Um, let me start with, um, let, using like, let's say, let's put, um, uh, Mass Effect and Assassin's Creed on one side and say, uh, Fallout and, uh, The Elder Scrolls on the other. Um, I think like, I, I want to talk a little bit about how like Skyrim and Fallout have a kind of, um, what do I want to say? Like a lineage of jank. Right, and so when they're a little bit janky, I think people are much more forgiving. Whereas AC and uh, Mass Effect have some very polished, um, uh, very polished prequels, right? And so Unity and 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 Andromeda, I think I think I think it's important to note that like, like, do you agree with me? One that that their that their lineage that your lineage of polish kind of will affect you down the line because it seems that way to me. And two, do you think it's fair to 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 assign that? Um, do I think it's fair to assign that? I well, like, d- go on, sorry. I don't. Uh, specifically in the instance of, um, kind of scope creep. This is a, more of like a developer side of things, right? Um, but something that tanks projects, I feel like, is kind of scope, is, is the increase in scope that is expected with these kinds of, like, sequels or whatever, right? And I think it's one of the reasons that we're seeing development cycles along, um, the lines of five years for Mass Effect Andromeda, right? When it was two years for Mass Effect 3, because we're, we are, we, we are always expecting more with these kind of franchises. Um, and so... You know, if Fallout 3, you know, like, so Fallout 3 had a map that was so, you know, however large, right? Fallout New Vegas has a map that's larger, right? It has more dialogue line, right? It has more characters. You can interact with the characters in new ways, right? Fallout 4 has its entirely new systems, right? You know what I mean? Like, that, those kinds of things... I think they add up, and to a certain extent, I do think we have to be a little bit tolerant, um, kind of, of those stretch marks showing up um, when 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 games uh, come out. Like, like I don't think that there's a lot of tolerance for essentially repeating um, a successful product. Uh, for instance, I would actually say a good example of this is Far Cry Three and Far Cry Four. Far Cry Three uh, was pretty well liked. Uh, most people, uh, you know, like most people thought it was pretty good. It had a cogent theme, which is pretty rare, 
uh, especially among like AAA games, uh, those becoming a little bit more common at that time, right? And there was, uh, it, you know, it was a it was a pretty good system. There was a lot of cool shit to do. And then Far Cry 4 comes out, and Far Cry 4 really didn't change much. I don't really recall anything meaningful besides it being a new map with new characters. You know what I mean? And and kind of like different weapons and stuff like that, right? Like, but at the end of the day, it was pretty much Far Cry 3 just in a different, you know, like, in a different context. And I actually think that there should be a little bit more tolerance for that kind of thing. I think Far Cry 4 took a hit uh, for being just essentially more of the same um, and not really doing anything new. And sometimes that's almost kind of what we're looking for, right? Like, if something is good twice, that's not bad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. And by I the could... way, I I don't I don't want to say that it's you know I don't want to say that anything that's like because there is stuff that's definitely derivative and I think that there is something to be said for like wanting a new experience out of a game and this might be idiosyncratic to me but I definitely came out of Far Cry three being like man that was great and I went into Far Cry four and I was like hey this is just Far Cry three over again that's awesome I loved Far Cry three you know what I mean um, and uh, uh, yeah I don't know that was. Uh, but but maybe there are people who are like, yeah, Far Cry 3 was fine, but I'm not going to go back and, and play it again. Yeah, no, I I, I, I think that's... I, I think there are people that fall on both sides of that spectrum. Um, uh, I, I, for one, think that, like, as, as much as it might be unfair, I think kind of the reality situation is, is that you're held to the bar of your last game, and you can, you can fall a little bit, but you can't fall too far. Um... Which is kind of it's, it's kind of bad because it because it, uh, it kind of like locks you in. But I, I think the, I think that the the trick there is that you can make a game like if you make a game that isn't a sequel, it's not held to that kind of standard, right? Like I think people wanted Mass Effect Andromeda to be Mass Effect Four, in you know story story beats aside, like in, in a lot of ways, and it kind it kind of clearly wasn't right. Like there was. Um, Besides the visual jank, I think there it seemed like from the outside there were some other things that kind of didn't make it as much of 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 an inheritor to to the previous property as it wanted to be, and it's very hard to kind of get away from that space, um, unless like there's another game in the mainline series coming out, right? Like the only yeah, things I mean, that get away from this are like things like Paper Mario and like I don't know. Well, so I actually think that that's more a, um, like, uh, you know, insofar as we're talking about jank, it's, it's a lot of the time been kind of like a technical thing, but hypothetically, I think there might be something to be said for having, you know, like quote unquote story jank. Um, like, you know, for instance, I think Halo 2's story is janky because it ends on this cliffhanger that's like supposed to be a climax. You know what I mean? Like, that movie is anticlimactic, or, I'm sorry, that game is anticlimactic because it felt like the climax just got cut off and put in the next game. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's something that is harder to see and to parse um, in the same way. But I think that to a certain extent, right, like, you know, ma like, Mass Effect was... Mario is a beloved property, right? But it's not really a beloved property because of its story, right? But Mass Effect is a beloved property because of its story. Like, the reason that Mass Effect is so successful is because that story was great and people connected with these characters. I mean, people still talk about, you know, Garrus and Tali or, or whatever, um, 
when it comes to these, you know, like really iconic great characters. Um, and uh, and so in a way, the 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 jank of Mass Effect Andromeda might also be uh, summed up in it wasn't able to it wasn't able to kind of inherit um, those story chops from the original Mass Effect. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I think that Mass Effect Andromeda's story is pretty strong, and the new characters that they gave us were also pretty strong. Um, but in the same way that I think that there's a fan backlash to, you know, The Last Jedi because, you know, people yeah, people didn't get what they wanted sort of thing, I, it's the same sort of thing, right? Mass Effect Andromeda was not Mass Effect 4. We didn't see Garrus, we didn't see Tali, we didn't see, you know what I mean, any of the... We, everybody was, was new, and they were different, and to a certain extent, that feels like... You know, they changed it, now it sucks. Yeah, um, I think this is this, like, ZD spaghetti thing, uh, again, yeah. that, that you're talking about. Um, and again, I would say it's, it's so, for, for those of us who might have not heard the episode, the analogy is that um, you, you, you wanted spaghetti, but you got ZD instead, and it's perfectly fine ZD, but you wanted spaghetti, um... And I, and there, and, yeah, and there is something to be said almost like like in a certain situation, I might understand an argument that's like, well, if I go to a restaurant and I order spaghetti and they give me ziti, I don't care how good the ziti is, you know what I mean? It's bad because I ordered the spaghetti. Yeah. Um, but then there's also, but like, so that there's that aspect to it and there's stuff that probably falls into that category. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and then you have a version where you go to a restaurant, you order pasta thinking you're going to get spaghetti, then you get ziti, and it's good ziti. It's like, well, you know, you ordered pasta, right? Like, yeah. you got to give these, you got to give the chef some fucking credit sort of thing. Um, and, and there are different instances that would fall in different aspects of this, you know, analogy. Yeah, um, yeah I know. And, we, you know, we, we could probably stretch this to bursting, right? Like, there's also a difference between being like, I'm sad that I don't have z- uh, spaghetti <laughs> and throwing the spade of spaghetti at the waitress. Um, <laughs> I do, I do enjoy how far this analogy is going, but I do think it, you know, I think it, 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 it kind of holds up to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also think that to a certain extent, right, like, uh, like this is something that we talked, we touched on a little bit in the prequels episode, where like I feel like you know, um, some of this stuff matures in a way people don't remember games as they are they remember games as they choose to remember them right yeah. in the same way that nobody remembers how in the original trilogy Yoda and Obi-Wan are like no you need to kill Darth Vader right when it is later revealed that that is exactly what the that's exactly what Luke needs to do to turn to the dark side right right you know and and so the 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 original trilogy has this thing where it's like yes Jedi are flawed and they are not perfect Right, but people don't remember that. People remember, oh, do or do not. There is no try. Right, they remember. Right, the you yeah. know, and it surrounds part, us. It binds us. Right. Uh, part of that too is kind of like you know, uh, extra textual cleverness. Right, like the the movie doesn't tell you that like explicitly that Yoda and Ben are wrong. Like it doesn't like hover on. It doesn't like try and show you that that's the case. But if you think about it, you realize that that's the case. And that's the kind of thing the sequels are feeding into but now we're talking about star wars 
Yeah. Um. <laughs> right, but the point but the point is and then the prequels come around and the prequels are critical of the Jedi yeah, and so yeah. far, you know or whatever and people get pissed about it, right? Like I literally, you know, like a, a YouTube video came out called The Case Against the Jedi and I was just like, what the f- how did you misunderstand this? Cuz they were talking about how the Jedi order is kind of is, you know, a bunch of stodgy emotionless guys whose inability to allow Anakin to to experience his emotions authentically is what led him to the dark side or whatever and I'm like yeah that's the, the point. point yeah <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> like I'm sorry there are sirens in the background I guess yeah whatever just let it ride anyway um, and and to a certain extent I think we might be able to kind of apply uh, principles along those lines um, to kind of our conversations around jank. Uh, specifically, what, 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 where I think this comes into games from like a mechanical perspective is stuff that mechanically worked in one game not working mechanically in the next game. Um, so, for instance, you know, if I, you know, in between Halo 1 and Halo 2, I nerf the pistol a whole bunch because the pistol is OP in in... Halo 1, you know, like, someone who is accustomed to the metagame and an ecosystem where the pistol is overpowered, right, looks at the pistol being balanced as bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I absolutely do. Um, there's This happens a lot in fighting games. Uh, um, like, the, one of the big things is that traditionally, um, Shoryukens are uh, invincible on kind of startup um, which gives them, they're basically like, the if you do it at the right time, you can't interrupt them, so they're incredibly strong in that way. But if you whiff it, you have so much recovery on it that you're incredibly vulnerable. Um, and in 5, they have taken the invincibility off of kind of the normal versions of the Shoryukens. Um, and there's 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 a lot of discussion around that, and I'm not super tie, tied into it, so I can't offer like a strong opinion one way or another. But kind of like... Like that is like you know it, it's it's like telling someone that like the sky is green right like in 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 a Street Fighter your Hadoukens have so start up but they're they're ranged and they're kind of spacey and Shoryukens are fast and invincible on start up and if you change it by God you've you you've ruined it all um and so yeah uh and 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 I I think this kind of falls into that kind of same trap right like I, I think that um. There is a strong there is a strong case for things like well the weaker workers of the shore you can we don't have to make them as punishing on whiff so but we we can't afford them that invincibility on startup then otherwise they become too uh, too powerful of, of an option in in, in that situation uh, and the like um, so yeah I agree with you and I think and I think sometimes that kind of stuff could be misconstrued to a certain extent um, as jank. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and, you know, and to be fair, it does happen, right? Like, in WoW, for instance, this kind of thing, it, you know, they just released a patch that increased the health of old bosses in old raids, um, just kind of as part of these, like, leveling changes that went into 7.3.5 or whatever, which basically meant that if you used to be able to solo, like, Siege of Orgrimmar, which is from, like, two or three expansions ago or whatever, right? Like, you wouldn't be able to anymore, right? Right. Um, and, and the devs came out 
you know, like a day later and said, yep, that was an unintended, you know, side effect of the scaling changes. Like, hold on while we fix it. You know what I mean? Like, there right. are times when it goes, you know, when it kind of like goes both, uh, you know, both ways um, sort of thing. Yeah, I'm not, not going to lie, but my mind auto-completed, you know, like there was a patch that added three more sides to the wheels uh, in in, uh, in World of Warcraft. Because I think that's like another famous example of Jenk is like the wheels were polygons instead of being... Uh, Instead of being like actual circles, yeah. Um, I uh, mean, um, that's another example of something that people don't really care about, right? Like, thirteen years later, they still don't have. We don't still have circular wheels in WoW, right? That's still true, right? They didn't fix that while I was gone. I don't know. Maybe who knows? Uh, yeah, but yeah. um, uh, something else that, that just kind of like sprung into my mind. We were talking earlier about Total Biscuit. Um, it's kind of, uh, port jank, um, which, you know, like, the, the, there's a lot of jank that usually gets incorporated into a game, usually from a console to a PC, but we've seen it recently in the other direction, uh, with PUBG moving over to Xbox One and probably being released far too early, um, uh, although this is the birth of early access on the Xbox, I guess, which is, uh, if there was ever a game to do it with, it's probably PUBG, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how I feel about that over overall. But um, I actually think that insofar as like Port Jank is a thing, it is probably one of the worst instances of it. I like. I like. You know, I I like to think that I'm fairly forgiving of Jank. Like, uh, for instance, I don't know. Total War, right? You know, like I'm I'm pretty forgiving of Jank in Total War because those core systems are really really good um and there is a lot of po like there's polish in some places just like kind of not in others if that makes sense um but like man like there are some of these port ported games you know console exclusives that get ported to pc pc games that get ported to console and they're just like fucking unplayable i mean like how long was arkham knight on the pc a an entirely unplayable mess Right? Did they ever end up re-releasing it back onto Steam? You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, neither, yeah. Uh, and if they did, like, is it is it any better? Um, there's a lot of stuff that like like it's one of the that I those things I think really do fall into the. They did. They they did. Okay, it. I'm not looking. <laughs> uh, those things do definitely fall into the the. Uh, you know, a bad game released bad re released on time is bad forever, right? Like as much as it frustrates me that you know I'll have to wait like I have to wait another nine months for uh, Monster Hunter on the PC. Um, I'm going to uh, uh, hopefully hopefully it'll be uh, it'll, it'll be uh, polished and ironed out um, by the time it hits uh, but by the time it hits PC and and it'll be a decent experience. Um, yeah, um, is there anything else in this kind of jank stew? Um, do, do, can you think of any, any instances of, like, jank, um, see, because I, because I think that there, so, I think that there is a case almost for jank existing in tabletop games, insofar as there are conflicting aspects of, like, rules as written, rule read as intended, you know, rules as intended kind of thing. You know what I mean? Ooh, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I'm trying to think if jank applies to tabletop. So, so I, I've actually got a good example for you. Uh, grappling rules. 
um, are janky as fuck. Um, yeah, and that's, I, yeah, that's I, true. I think that, um, I think this is where you'll get a lot of this. It's where kind of like, uh, on the kind of like abstraction simulation spectrum, um, Dungeons and Dragons is a healthy bit towards the abstraction end. Um, um, it's not very, it's not like a storytelling game or whatever where, where the, where, you know, it, it's very abstracted. Um, but, um, uh, grappling is a system that is, uh, three to four, like th three to four steps more simulated than the rest of the combat system. And it doesn't mesh well. Um, um, I think you also get this with like suffocation rules, right? There are things yep. that exist because you feel like they have to, and they just don't work in a way that makes sense, right? Like, like try suffocating somebody in the middle of the battle. It'll literally take you, like, longer than any battle that has ever existed in Dungeons yeah. & Dragons. And, and you know why? And it's funny. It's because D&D &D, um, Pathfinder rules simulate every strike in combat, which is the reason that we have six-second, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. six-second rounds or whatever. But if you extrapolate that baseline out, if I'm trying to suffocate someone, they have... You know, most people can hold their breath for around a minute. You know what I mean? So that's that's hypothetically several, you know, several rounds or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and I th I think it is the could you know the kind of uh, the confluence of those two things coming together uh, that creates this problem. Yeah, I mean, this is also a thing that like where where if if you if you look at an microscope too too much, right? Like the the kind of like every round and every attack as a single swing and it is like not super sensical right like you know the the guy with like it, it, this is how like like the, like you know a guy swinging a hammer around with two hands gets as many attacks in as a guy swinging a sword sort around and it kind of like because it doesn't feel feel quite right people who dual wield get more attacks mm -hmm. but like that's also not quite right for what the system is trying to simulate I I, I in fact like I think it wants you to think that every attack is a separate attack, but I think also at a certain level that a round of combat isn't necessarily, like, every hit isn't one swing of the weapon, but that's just the easiest way to kind of visualize it. Right? I think the game makes a lot more sense if every, like, if each round is just taken in, to in some total of the attacks and you kind of narrate that how you want to. Yeah, I actually um, think that there is a little bit of a case to be made that maybe a round goes from, like, six seconds to, like, 20 seconds or whatever, but you include something in there that says, like, um, like, imagine this, like, it's, it's like, there are many more attacks in a round that, that aren't, you know, that are parries or that are misses, right, that aren't factored into, uh, that, like, aren't factored into the roll, but the attacks that you roll for are the attacks that, um, you know, you're really trying to hit, essentially. You know what I mean? So, like, the kind of, like, ting, ting, ting of, like, a sword fight or whatever, a lot of that stuff is essentially just, like, off-screened from a mechanics point of view, right? But then the one, like, opening, uh, uh, that you like the one opening that you get where you make your your thrust kind of thing to try and get the guy like that's the attack roll that you roll in the round. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um. Th there's a bunch of stuff like this kind of also right like um, the idea that maybe because you know n your HP doesn't matter until you're out of it kind of right like it's not like yeah. you degrade over the course of a fight. Um. That like maybe what that's supposed to signify is that you know a hit is a is actually like a, a dodge or your or your armor taking a hit. 
or whatever that doesn't really uh, affect you, but kind of like depletes like your inner reserve to 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 get out of those situations. And then that like that final hit that that, that drops you is is the one that actually connects kind of solidly because you know. Um, on kind of the realism scale, that's a little bit more realistic in terms of, of how a fight would work, right? Like, it's not like you get stabbed through the chest. You're like, oh, well, <coughs> I have 60 hit points left, so that's cool. Um, I don't know. I, well, I, I, to be honest with you, okay, I, uh, insofar as you're explaining that, I actually think that that's a, that's a problem of... That, that, that That's its own problem, which is kind of separate. Okay, so I, I do want to get into this a little bit, just because it's something that people say and it bugs me. Okay, so you said the line, like, the health health doesn't matter until you're out of it. And I think that that's true for D Dungeons & Dragons. But that's also a line that people use for games like Hearthstone or whatever, right? You know what I mean? Like, people say health is a resource, which it is, definitely. Right. Um, and that the only hit point that matters is your last one. But that's actually not true in like a in like an actual game of Hearthstone. Depending on how much HP you have at any given time, right? This is this is what affects tempo. But depending on how much HP you have at any given time, it can change your decision process, right? Um, if you have six HP and you're facing down lethal, right? You need to think defensively. Or if you have thirty HP and you're facing down you know what I mean, not lethal, right? Yeah, you can say, you know what, I'm going to go on the offense, I'm going to push him into lower HP totals so that I can hypothetically get him in burn range or whatever, and I'm just going to eat the hits to the face, right? Because right. I trust my ability to, you know, you, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, And I think that those interactions are actually things that are missing from Pathfinder but should be there. This is part of the reason why um, I ban uh, Wands of Cure Light Wounds in my game. It's because I do want... Um, uh, I do want hit points to be a resource, right? And if in one fight you get you get pretty wrecked um, and you move into the next room and you only have 11 HP, I want there to be a consideration that gets made where, you know what, even though I'm typically a frontliner doing a lot of soaking, I'm going to kind of hang back and pick off stragglers, right, because I'm, I'm low on HP and I can't really afford. Do you see what I'm saying? I think yeah. that that's something that is more a problem of the HP healing, you know, kind of rules as written uh, more so than it is. Uh, I, I think a big part of this is kind of like this, this, this fight between simulation and abstraction that doesn't ever quite get solved right and i think it's also like because it's a hard thing to conceive of and there's not like a hard line rule as to what things are supposed to represent like like vital strike is supposed to be one heavy strike right um and two heavy funding is supposed to be like a bunch of quick attacks but like you know if your vital like vital striking is still inferior to a full round attack if you can full round attack um and like there, there are these these little things that like just it doesn't quite add up quite right um, and if you squint at it, it's fine. Um, and I, th I think that's kind of like the secret sauce is that like tabletop games don't operate on hard balance. And that's why I think, um, and, uh, and, and, and I think that that's, that's part of it. But like, I, I think that contributes to this, to this kind of janky feeling where like you've got this constant battle between abstraction and, and, uh, and, and, um, what's the word, uh, simulation that, um, that, different pieces of the system are at different points on that spectrum. And if you look too close at it or you think about it too hard or like, you know, you try and make any of the particularly bad ones like grappling a, a core kind of thing in your game, um, you'll, you'll see it and it'll feel janky. Um, 
this actually is this is this is actually brings up something I've been thinking about for a little while, which is like the idea of rules that should take effect in a game that like that like essentially my my to to kind of ex explain the concept by way of example, my harpoon rules for uh, the Skull and Shackles game that, that we played for a short while. Um, like, in a normal game, you don't need complicated harpoon rules, right? But in a pirate game, maybe you want to build out those rules and, like, the drowning rules and the water combat rules and the ship combat rules. Maybe you want to, like, explore those a little bit deeper because, like, while, like, kind of the base rules are okay for, like, a... A, a game that has like one ship battle in it ever a game where it's going to be a regular system. You want it to be more robust. Um, and I think that's actually kind of a big, uh, a part of the problem, um, when it comes to like, um, uh, like the, like some of these systems that get put out is that they're kind of, I think built to be layered on top of a normal game where they're kind of secondary, but when you want them to be a primary thing, uh, they're, they're they don't hold up as, as well. Um, like, uh, like kind of like the, the core downtime rules can kind of be layered on top. But I think like if, if you have a game that's like really focused on being like a, like, you know, like a multi-generational epic or something, those would probably break down real fast. Um, similarly, we were talking about the exploration rules. I think the exploration rules in Ultimate Wilderness are pretty decent, but I think you'd probably want to modify them more and, and, and dig a little bit deeper into that system if you want to make a game that was exploration based. Um, but you probably don't want those rules if, you know, like, there's, like, one section where you explore the woods. Because um, that's too much too much mechanical baggage for, for relatively little buyback. Um, but, yeah. Like, like essentially, to bring it back to Jenk, it, it's, it is okay for, like, the survival rules to be a little janky if you're only doing, like, one survival challenge. But if your, your, your whole... Uh, adventure or campaign is going to be survival based then those rules being janky are going to hurt the campaign uh a lot um and you don't and the mechanical baggage is going to be spread out enough that, it, that it's worth buying into those yeah yeah i uh yeah i agree with that i don't know i think that this is uh this is a this is a, a tough topic to um like there's there's kind of like no right answer i guess yeah um, I am glad that the window has shifted away from polish just because I think it has opened up the indie space uh, pretty widely for a lot of games to kind of like sneak their way in um, and and become hits, you know. Uh, so that's that's definitely a good thing. Um, how much how much we should tolerate stuff, you know, that's 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 its whole uh, its whole other kind. Of, I don't know. I'm I'm not a big fan. I'm a big fan. I guess I would say of of tolerating of tolerating in some instances and shitting on it in other instances. Right. Like I think this stuff is um, kind of unique to the game itself, and where there might be a game like whatever you know Assassin's Creed Unity or something, uh, where it just doesn't work. Um, there might also be a game like PUBG where it does. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, I, I think that that's like, I, I think that like the, the, you, you can kind of bright line around like actual, like strict functionality, right? Like PUBG is, is borked, but it's borked. Like it, it works like increasingly 
90 to 95 to probably 98% of the time at this point. Okay, yeah, I I actually will, I will agree with you there. I think that makes sense. Right, like, if Unity, you fell through the level once every 12 hours, you'd probably forgive it. But my understanding with Unity and with with some of these other games is that it's so broken that the game is, is basically unplayable. Um, literally unplayable, as, as they say. Um, I, I think that that's a, a fair point to kind of draw a distinction. Um, but I think that's all I really had to say about Jag, unless you had anything else you wanted no, to go into? Yeah, I guess that's it. I guess that's, uh, that's, 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 that's Jank. Yeah. Well, in that case, buddy, what have you been doing this week? Mm, well, we did play Hell's Rebels. We did. <coughs> we should talk about that. Oh, <coughs> Barzillai uh, Thrun. I, you know, I have to say that uh, I wasn't expecting to get into the Barzillai Thrun thing, but I was re- very excited to because I've been sitting on this, like, I don't know, is it a plot twist? I guess it's a little bit re- of a Revelation, twist. yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been sitting on this for, like, a year and a half. You know what I mean? Like, ah. just out of curiosity, is, is is that how it's written in the in the AP as as no. it is? No, okay. No, it's not. How, in, in the AP, he's just always uh, a dick. You know, like always a, a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, this, this was actually part of my problem a little bit with it. Um, is that he was a little bit too mustache twirling, um, which to me made him feel almost kind of cartoony, and like there wasn't a way that you could like kind of interact. Like, like I mean. Let's back up a second and tell the folks who don't what actually happened this week. Okay. Um, so you guys got through the dungeon. Yeah, we right. solved the rainbow room. Yeah. You, oh, actually, I, I do want to talk about that as well, by the way. Um, but uh, so you guys solved the dungeon, you know, b- blew up the, the mountain pass that essentially the Empire was about to launch. It was about to march 10,000 guys through or whatever. Um, made it back to the rendezvous point um, and immediately learned that essentially Bards Like Thrun wanted to sit down and have a chat. Right. Right. Uh, and then you guys did where he basically was like, hey, our goals are more aligned than you might otherwise have thought. And the picture, the bigger picture, is more important for both of us than which one of us wins, right? So what we should probably do is compromise, right, and uh, and make a deal where we don't blow up the entirety of Ravenel um, because, you know, we because we both want to secede in our specific kind of way, right? Uh, and then you guys talked about that a lot, and we're going to talk about it more next week. And yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um. But the big thing is so. But the big thing is, I was like, how can I have a fucking political game where you can't do politics with the main bad guy? You know what I mean? Like that was that was the thing. Uh, that was the thing that kind of put me in in like the this camp of like, yeah, there has to be a moment where they sit down and. And at least like attempt to have a like a like a a politics discussion, a political intrigue thing happen with Bards Life Rune. Right. No, absolutely. I I think it's I think it's very well played. Um. Yeah. Um. Just like that rainbow puzzle was a pain in the ass. (laughs) Uh, i i have to say i was very funny to me that it took you guys uh uh it took you guys as long as it did um mostly because you would solve the other puzzles that i had put out so quickly and i was like oh like good like i was afraid a little bit that they were like too hard or too obscure or too opaque or whatever 
Um, but the Rainbow Room, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a lot that, like, like the thing that, that caught that caught me up the most, obviously, was, like, the, like, like the way the Rainbow arced and the, uh, and the, uh, the, the, the Dusk to Dawn thing. It was like, oh, but the, the sun rises in the east, it sets in the west, and so it's a backwards rainbow, and I don't know, and maybe, um, you know, screwed my eyeballs uh, up, up around themselves, um, Honestly, I I was worried that like I expected this to end with like a big combat session, a big combat encounter, and so when uh like as we're taking damage through this thing, I'm like, oh well, well we're fucked. Um, uh, what was in the right hand room, by the way? Uh, uh there was, the sure. right hand room was two was two rooms. Uh, I actually I'm a little sad you guys didn't choose the right hand room. So okay, so the right hand room had a puzzle, and this was actually pro this was the first puzzle I made and my favorite of them. So essentially, what the puzzle is: there's a pressure plate on one, so it's a big long room from east to, or from west to east. There's a ple pressure plate on one end of the room, um, and a uh, a treasure chest on the other end of the room. The treasure chest is um, uh, has a force cage around it, right? So you can't so you can't access the treasure chest. Um, when you step on the on the pressure plate, the force cage disappears, and then the force cage appears around the pressure plate, right? So for as long as the pressure plate is depressed, um, a force cage appears on it. Um, but the treasure chest is still locked. What also happens when you step on the pressure pressure plate is it spawns the key inside of the square that the pressure plate is in. So inside of the square that gets the new force cage or whatever. Um, and so it's kind of like, how do you get, you know, like, how do you keep the, how do you get the key out of this square when there's a force cage, you know what I mean? With the, with the force cages or whatever. Um, is the lock like unpickable? Uh, yeah, the lock is, the, the lock is unpickable. It essentially comes down, to, uh, I, I, I kind of designed this one with, uh, with a few solutions in mind, right? Like Jimmy has his dimension door thing right so you go in there with two people jimmy is on marigrug's shoulders or whatever uh they depress the plate jimmy catches the key he dimensions door while he dimension doors out while marigrug is still on there and he unlocks the he unlocks the chest um uh, uh and or and there uh, was other things like technically you could also do it in acrobatic because the force cage doesn't spawn instantly all at once. It comes down. It takes about a second to come down from the ceiling, right? So hypothetically, someone can, in the pressure plate room, can grab the key and hook it, you know, like hook it at the ground or something away from the force cage um, if they, if they like, react fast enough or whatever. Uh, anyway, so there was that room. And then there was a room with three uh, of these special undead dwarves called Forgebound, which are, like, these undead dwarves with, like, chains around them kind of like the chains for like in a christmas carol uh almost yeah, yeah. right and what they could do um was they could hit the ch if they hit you with a chain um the chain uh could could latch on to you uh and then all damage that gets dealt to the dwarf is then split between the person and the chain and there were these anvils across the room and so if they maneuver the chain onto an anvil and then hit it with their hammer uh they do i think it was like con damage uh maybe it was like wisdom damage they do like they, they do like hardcore damage essentially um to an ability score so those are that that was the that was the those are the two combat uh or th those are the two rooms if you went the, on the right yeah well i'm glad we didn't do that uh the mammoth <laughs> was 
was relatively easy to deal with. Yeah, to be honest with you, uh, the mammoth one, I prob I said too much. I shouldn't have said the thing where I was like, you can get out of this, right? You know what I mean? Like, even though that yeah. was technically possible for the room, um, uh, I think at the end of the day, I should have let you guys just, like, pull the fucking key off, uh, you know. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so that was kind of my bad. Um, who knows? Maybe we would have gotten there. Um, maybe Alaric would have thought of it if he was there. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Fucking Alaric being a little shit. Wish he was here. That way I could stare at him. Um, but, uh, yeah. No, it was, it was, the dungeon itself was fine. Um, uh, but this Barb's Life Drune thing, right? Like, you know, from Bogart's perspective, at least he, like, he's correct. Like, leaving, like, plunging the, the, the Ravenel into civil war is not, is not great. Yeah. Um, by the way, is, 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 is it accurate that, like, uh, that about, like, it's about, like, half the, 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 the uh, the provinces behind Bar's Life? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that, that was actually part of the way that I had to design, to design this, right? Because I want it to be a real choice for you guys. Right. Um, and so... It was important to me that, like, th this is kind of why all throughout book three I've been seeding this stuff about how Barslythrune is, you know, rallying the city, right, right, instead of competing with you in the countryside. That wasn't actually the, the original way that I had written it. Um, when I originally wrote book three, I was writing it from this perspective of, like, um, Barslythrune was also trying to recruit people, and so outside of the country or whatever, right, the Way Watchers and, the, and like, the Beastmen or whatever. Um, essentially, of those seven things that, like, of those seven, like, factions or whatever that, like, you you coordinated with, every time you picked a faction, he would have gotten another faction. You know what I mean? Um, but then I eventually kind of decided that that was ultimately not as interesting as... Uh, and, and on the flip side, you would have gotten more people inside. You would have kind of like retained a little bit of control in the city. Uh, but I decided that it was a little bit more elegant from a story perspective to essentially have Barzlai Thrun say, okay, well, good. They're out of the city. This means I can, con like, I can consolidate my control of the city itself, right? And kind of dig in so that even though they're going to rally the whole countryside against me or whatever, we're, we're still essentially splitting this place in half, right? And in the same way, and, and it also kind of reinforces this symbiotic relationship between the kind of cosmopolitan city of Kintargo and Ravenel all around it, right? Like, Kintargo is an affluent city because it is the only port for 200 miles up and down the coast or whatever and it and it gets to export right and it gets to like do a lot of importing and exporting right but those imports and exports also rely on the countryside of Ravenel you know like yeah. Cantargo doesn't do a lot itself it ships out a lot of silver right and brings in a lot of money it ships out a lot of food you know what I mean like that kind of thing and so I thought it was a lot more important to to reinforce those aspects of uh uh, of the country than it was to kind of like, you know, give Barzillai a little bit more varied an army. Yeah. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting depending on what we bear down to. Cause like, um, I, like I think, I don't know, at least, at least from my perspective, I don't like, you know, spoilers for you, I guess. I don't think we're ever going to end up coming down on, Barzillai's side, um, but I think I think Beauregard's gonna push for uh, 
uh, like like a, a sneaky solution or something, right? Like get them alone in a room and fuck them up. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I also I'm I'm also excited a little bit. Um, like part of the reason that I wanted to give you guys a robust support structure in terms of these NPCs is so that like you know like Taylor Lewin has a very different perspective on this than Mateo, right? right? And I think that there are a lot of aspects to kind of this whole thing. Um, that uh, obviously, because I've been sitting on this for like a year and a half, I guess, um, that I've been able to consider, but that because you guys only have like a week to kind of consider the options, you might miss. And so I like having the option. In fact, I was actually I was actually thinking about doing a, a like a like one of the table reads, but instead of doing Bard's Lightroom's cabinet, it's just like six of your guys. Yeah, right? no, that makes sense. I don't know if I actually I don't know if I actually want to do that, or if I just want to split it up and like kind of like let you guys. Uh, uh, that you guys kind of ask for advice almost. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say like the, the table read might make sense because I, I was going to suggest that you write them out as dossiers and hand them out before the session starts. Um, that way we can like think about it, but that also there, there's a great rule um, that, that, uh, that, that uh, angry GM has, has elucidated, which is players, Anything that the players do to prep for the game will happen in the 30 minutes before the game starts. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and that is extremely true from, from my perspective. So, like, Table Read kind of, like, halves that, um, ha like, meets that halfway, right? Like, it lets you, it lets, it lets these things be prepared ahead of time. Because I, I think that they are probably going to be the first things we're going to ask for, um, Especially now that you've told me that they've all got opinions. Now I'm going to be like, okay. And Beauregard wants to figure out what all of his cabinet thinks. Um, uh, you know. Uh, but I, I think that would have been, like, the thing we would have done anyway. Just because it, it, it is true. It's also, like, you know, in kind of the, the space of, like, you know, let the players, uh, you know, provide several options to the players and let them choose another one if they want to. But most of the time, they'll pick one of the one of the options you present. That's like a great vehicle for presenting options to the players. Yeah, is, is I have to is, say is, that is that that is that is kind of like a hard aspect of this because I think I do have a certain bias um, a little bit in how you guys want to interact with this. But like the point of this is that it is a, it is a true blue choice or whatever, and right. so I have a hard time because part of me wants to be like make this decision, you know what I mean, or like go this like do it this way. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And I could push for that if I wanted, obviously. Uh, but I don't. But I, that that's such a that's such a wrong thing. That's like the, yeah. I know that's the wrong thing to do, and I don't want to oh, do yeah. that. <laughs> but, but I also think there's not a problem when being like you know like cabinet. Do you have any ideas? Presenting players with like three or four options that are viable. Um, uh, you know, make like as like again, this another angryism. It's like it like. It gives the players choice. It gives them the freedom to do something they want if they want to, but most players like like having the choice, and they then then more than they like trying to think up of something on uh, like on their own on the fly. So like handing out those options are are, are always nice to get chosen something like eighty percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also one of those things where it's like I I also want to make sure that I'm reinforcing. Uh... Like the th this isn't the first time that you've had to go to the to the council and kind of like probe for opinions on things, right. and I want to keep that stuff consistent, right? Like, yeah. like spoiler alert: when you go to Mateo, he's not gonna be like, "Yeah, I think Bar's Lightroom's a pretty good guy, good guy." You know what I mean? He's gonna be like, "No, this is 
morally despicable, right? This is the guy that yeah. killed Gonder, who brought all of us together, right? There is no way that we should make any kind of deal, even if it means we're going to be sacrificing a lot of manpower and whatever, you know, in order to get there, right? Because right. he's he has always come from this kind of, like, moral absolutist kind of perspective um, when it comes to, like, when it comes to... Uh, you know, interacting with various decisions about things. Um, and so I want to keep that stuff, I want to keep that stuff consistent as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Um, well, that'll be exciting to get into. Um, but yeah, so uh, I don't know. What have you, what have you been playing uh, game, game, game wise? Uh, so I've got a couple, like besides, besides the, the player unknowns battlegrounds, which is, it is what it is. It is what it always is. Um, I've been playing a little bit of Path of Exile um, and Neo for PC. Uh, Neo gave I gave best genre bender. Um, uh, I'm restarting it on the PC. It's fun. Um, not a ton else to say about it other than like something that really struck me this time around that I had forgotten about is uh, the way. In, uh, so the 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 brief kind of story of Neo is uh, uh, there's an Irish dude, I think he was originally Scottish, but like, like in, in like the, it's based on like real world history. Uh, it's a dude who, um, is like a, like a privateer for England or like an explorer for England and knows a bunch of stuff. He's got like a guardian spirit, which is a, which is a, uh, a Gaelic, uh, like Celtic fairy, which is, is really cool. Apparently speaks actual Gaelic. Um, and, uh, he kind of, in the beginning level is him in the tower of London, escaping from jail essentially um and the main antagonist steals his fairy and uh he 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 ends up surviving by getting away and he takes a ship to to glorious nippon and uh he has to defeat some demons there and uh protect like basically he has to he has to basically do the plot and like save everybody from this evil dude who's like an evil sorcerer um and it's it's very souls-like gameplay um, but in that tower level, it kind of like eases you in, right? Like you've got like light attacks and strong attacks and like, uh, you, you fight a bunch of dudes and you get like different equipment that has like some minor effects on it. Um, but then as soon as you hit Japan, it opens up like a whole, like there was like a high stance, a medium stance and a low stance and like gear is like Diablo loot style. And there's like a whole leveling system and skill points, all of which you don't touch at all for the first hour in the tower of London. It's a very interesting decision because it kind of eases you into it without like putting too much on you um then really dumps like a whole bunch of systems on you but i think it's ultimately successful in kind of uh and kind of bridging the gap between like essentially what is dark souls like flat gameplay into like a much uh, a much kind of richer um uh, uh set of game systems um and so i just thought like the, the fact that they hide so much of it from you and then dump it on you i, I think is neat um, that's really all I want to say about that. And on the other hand, I played some Path of Exile, which is basically a free Diablo. Um, and it is, it's basically what happens if you took Diablo 2 and like made it as complicated as possible and like push it all the way to that extreme, um, in a way that's kind of neat. It's, it's one of these things where like, I looked, I looked at it. There's like six different classes, but not a lot about them. So I like Googled a beginner's guide and there's like this 40 minute beginner's guide. I'm like, okay. I've played Crusader Kings. I can deal with one of these these videos. 
And so it goes a little bit into like different classes and it's like classes don't matter so much. They matter a little bit, but it puts you, gives you a starting point on this passive skill tree and then it shows you the skill tree and it's enormous. It's like several hundred skills, I think. It's ludicrous. I mean, a lot of them are kind of like, you know, like plus 10 to strength or whatever, but it's like, holy shit. Um, and then uh, he starts going into, like this guy I watch, he goes into some other stuff. Is like, yeah, and then you don't actually get skills based on your class. You get skill gems, which give you abilities. It's like, okay, and they level up. And that's separate from your leveling up. Okay, and then you have to find gear with sockets the skill gems fit into. Okay, and then there's a currency for upgrading your your items. And there's a currency for re-rolling the stats in your items. There's a currency for re-rolling the sockets on your items. And also re-rolling the links between sockets and why are links important well because there's some skill gems that don't do anything on their own but they enhance the abilities of the other sockets and like as he's going through all these i can just feel my eyes glazing over and it's like <laughs> oh my god and so i stopped that video and i booted up the game i just started playing and that's a much better experience right like i am probably not making a super effective character but like the kind of core system of like it's it's a loot game like diablo um you get your stats and you get some basic effects through the passive tree and you get your abilities through the skill gems and you can you can augment them with other skill gems that's kind of all you really need and you just kind of like go from there and like i'm fucking around like i said i probably don't have the greatest build or whatever i'm playing i'm like throwing spectral hammers around which i'm pretty sure is like a dumb thing to do but i'm having fun with it um it's not particularly difficult yet which i think is one of these kind of like you know Diablo isn't hard until you hit, like, until, like, after, like, the first playthrough and you start, like, ramping up difficulty options and whatnot. I think it's a similar thing. Um, but it's a great game to just kind of, like, play in the background while things happen. Um, there's some story to it. I've been paying attention to it, but no one talks about that. It's all about, it's all about, like, this kind of, like, Diablo-esque, super hardcore min-maxing. Um, but it's, it's a neat thing, and it's completely free, which is the other thing that's astounding, right? Like, it's got, like, cosmetic... DLC and that's it uh but it's it's neat uh I encourage any of you out there with like a little bit of extra time you like those loot kind of games give it a look um you'll quickly start to fall down the rabbit hole of like googling things about different things to see how things work fair uh, enough yeah I've just been playing wow to be honest okay um uh the new patch got released 7.3.5 which included the leveling changes for the old world <clears throat> So I've just been leveling alts, not not giving a fuck. Um, allied races are also in this patch, and it is said, uh, or it is it it was leaked or something that like in two weeks or so that they would be uh, available for um, as like a pre-order bonus for Battle for Azeroth, uh, right? Okay. Where they'll probably say, "Hey, pre-order Battle for Azeroth." It'll get a kind of release, not a release date. They didn't give a release date for Legion for a long time, to be honest. Probably like um, a release like a, quarter. Yeah, month. yeah, that's typically what they do. Is they say it'll release late, you know, winter twenty eighteen or something. You know, who knows? Um, uh, you think it'll so, release? When do you think it's going to release Battle for Azeroth? Uh, most people pick it around uh, August or September. It's when okay. Legion released. Um, and to be honest, like it's like WoW has been running like a clock um, compared to its history. You know, like these patches. Every patch has been a pretty you know 
kind of regimented amount of time. It seems like they're hitting their milestones. It seems like, I don't know, there, there don't seem to be a lot of delays, but we also don't know because they never really announced this stuff before um, it comes out. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't release, like, we knew because of the PTR uh, notes um, where basically everything, where the, they put a release build on the PTR kind of thing, and everyone was like, well, that probably means they're going to release next week, and the day before they released the patch, they were like, yep, tomorrow's the patch, you guys, kind of thing. So it's hard. It's tough. Um, it is tough. So, yeah. Um, how, how, do you, how do you unlock allied races? Uh, you, you do a small quest line. Okay. Uh, so if you have a level 110 character, uh, for alliance uh, and horde, you know you can't you can't unlock alliance allied races without a, a max level character. Right, right. Um, you you do a small quest line that kind of explains a bit about like you go. It's essentially there's a quest line. You go and recruit the you know you go and recruit the the allied race to the cause or whatever, um, <clears throat> and then it unlocks in character creation. Um, and then they have the, the the they call it heritage armor, right? Which is like a special cosmetic armor set that is unique to the race um where if you level it from level 20 to max you get that like so can can you race change into an allied race yeah yeah so you could race change into an allied race yeah so they included the heritage armor to give people an incentive essentially not to do that or to at least level one of these characters to max kind of thing but you can absolutely change into an allied race uh immediately and the allied races do have um different uh like passives and like skills and shit like that oh so really that is also huh. yeah yeah no because um, if i were to come back i always kind of imagined billamong as being a zandalari rather than a a, a dark spear mm-hmm. so that's something that's kind of uh intriguing to me yeah. uh what what are what are what are the uh, the the allied races? Uh, so there's six of them in total, but only four will be unlocked soon, which are the kind of legion holdovers. Um, the nightborn elves and the high mountain tauren join the horde, uh, and then the lightforge draenei, which are the argus guys, like the army of the light guys that you meet on argus, um, and void elves, which are also related to the army of the light because. Uh, the, on, on Argus, you run into an elf who's using, like, crazy shadow void powers or whatever, um, and, sh- and there's a group of, uh, blood elves that splits off and joins the alliance under her. Um, this is Illyria, I guess, if you know the lore or whatever. Um, so those are the two for alliance. And then, once Battle for Azeroth comes out, um, because a lot, you know, like, the Zandalari trolls obviously kind of rely on... Battle for Azeroth content. Um, right. That's when you can unlock uh, the Zandalari and you can unlock the Dark Iron Dwarves. Okay, man, that's uh, that's exciting. So three. Yeah. What is it like? Three types of elves. Yeah. Uh, I guess it is. Well, no, two it, types of elves. So there are a lot of types of elves. Um, so they they all they all have the names like um Calderai is night elves right yeah um and then Quelderai is high elves which is different than Cinderai which is blood elves which is different than like Vathderai I think which is the void elves and then Shaldurai which are the Suramar elves like the nightfallen elves right so lots of lots of elves you guys <laughs> wait which ones are the Calderai they're the they're high elves 
um, which no. are essentially okay. um, are Keldera are, are, are the high elves playable? No. Okay. High elves, the, like most high elves, became blood elves. Right, 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 right. right, right, um, right. And they tr- and they're and you can tell because their eye color turned from blue to green. Uh, because they started getting, like, fell power or whatever from Kael'thas. This is, like, Warcraft 3. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, but some of them didn't. Uh, like, for instance, those that were still part of the Kirin Tor, um, I think, uh, didn't and have blue eyes still. Uh, have they uh, noticed what the other features of, uh, of Bell, Battle for Azeroth are going to be? I know that, like, at one point... There was a uh, there was a huge like like speculation thing about like there were gonna be guns like like you know, like uh, like pistols or whatever in the game or whatever or muskets or something, um, in like a larger capacity than they than they were, um, and all sorts of other stuff. But that was all seemed like it was, was super bit it was super much uh, what's the word I want to put like it was super speculative. Uh, so what are some of the, the, the new things? Um, the, the coolest one, the one that I'm most interested in is called Warfronts, um, which is kind of like, do you know, like, like Alterug Valley or, um, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Isle of Conquest, those battlegrounds. Yeah, yeah. Where kind of like you're in like a you're in like a battle. Well, it's kind of like that, except instead of PVP, it's PVE. You know what I mean? <clears throat> okay. Um, the um, uh, so like what and 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 it's and it's much more of like an RTS kind of thing. Um, a little bit like Ashran actually, if you remember what it was like to play an Ashran, where like as you're moving through whatever, you're collecting resources and then you head back to base and like dedicate your resources to something, right? Um, and then that something then oh all of a sudden now our you know whatever our armory is upgraded into a mm, barracks or something like that and it starts like you know doing stuff but we, we don't really know specifically how warfronts are going to play out but they did show us that they talked about like this kind of like tech tree and stuff like that so yeah okay huh oh and then there's like islands or whatever have you heard about these islands no is this They're like player housing or something no 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 islands are like procedurally generated tiny dungeons um it's like three-man groups um but the the islands themselves are generated randomly essentially so like no two islands are the same and you could be fighting like different stuff or whatever um which i think is kind of cool and, yeah, uh, it will depend on implementation. It will depend on implementation because I do fear that there will be like a thing where like you queue in and you have nobody with an interrupt and you queue into the fucking, you know, who cares, right? Like the priests and if you don't interrupt their healing, they just heal for a billion HP, right? You know, that, that kind of thing is probably pretty rare. Um, but if they are, um, you know... It is what it is. Yeah. All right, well, did you have anything else you want to talk about about your weekend gaming? Yeah, no, fucking, what else did I do? Oh, did I, t- I talked about their Billions last week, right? Yeah, yeah. I played a lot more of that. Yeah, whatever. It still yeah. is fun? Yeah, stills, stills fun, <laughs> I guess. Um... Oh, I guess that's 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 it then. Unless unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about. No, I'm I'm good. I'm good. All right, if you want to email us about what you think about battle for azeroth or jank or any of the other things that we talked about on this podcast you can email us at some play games at gmail.com or podcast at some play games.com you can follow us um on soundcloud and you can leave us reviews on itunes 
and you can watch us on Twitch on twitch.tv slash nerdsplaygames. You can uh, follow us on Twitter. All There'll be links in the description. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, leave us feedback. We love it. Um, buddy, do you have anything else that you want to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.